Lord, we pray that our worship has been pleasing to you. And as we continue now in the reading of your word and the preaching of your word, we pray, Lord, that our worship will continue. We ask your spirit to fill our hearts and our minds with the truth in your word. And we pray that you will speak into each and every one of our lives the truth that we need to hear for ourselves today. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. And we all agreed and said, (coughs) It has been a lot of years since my girls were little. But I can tell you that when they were little, they often tested my patience. Now, to be fair, I am a hot-blooded Italian. So, Patience doesn't come easy to me, and I appreciate growing older because God has tempered that. He has also tempered my quick emotional responses to things as well. But back then, I was an intemperate Italian. Now, I had grown up being motivated by fear. The fear of Ray. Ray was my dad. And he was a cop, and he was a serious guy. So, when I had children, I decided I did not want them to grow up with the fear of Craig. That instead, I would use love. Because I knew the power of love to touch my life and change my life through Jesus. So, I was going to practice love with my children. I would give them a task, a responsibility to do. And then, commensurate with their age, I would leave them to go and take care of a responsibility that I needed to do, come back to check and see how they're doing. Inevitably, they didn't do anything. That irritated me. So, I would sit them down, and I would say, Now, I would like you to please take care of your chore. I'm going to leave you with it. I've described it before. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to go take care of something. I'll come back. I expect you to be working on it when I get back. I would go off and do my chore. I would come back. What do you think? Uh Uh-uh. Nada. They would simply get distracted and not have gotten anything done. Now, By this time, I am beyond irritation. I am feeling disrespected. But I have self-control. I am going to use love. So I would tell my daughters, please, I would like you to get to work and get this done. I'm going to do something else and I will come back. You are old enough that you can do this on your own. When I come back, I expect you either to be working on it or I expect it to be done. And I would go off and do my thing. And then I would come back. And you know what would happen? Nada. Zip. Zilch. By now, the blood in my veins is burning red hot. 
And I am trying to be temperate, and I am trying to be good, and oftentimes I could do this a fourth time. Never less than three. I never got to more than four. It just wasn't working for me. And I would holler at them. I was a serious guy. I was Ray Jr. And believe me, it got done, and it got done in a hurry. Now, what followed for my daughters was commensurate with their actions. Sometimes they not only got hollered at, but sometimes they had a consequence related in terms of a punishment. Israel had presumed upon God's patience, and time had run out for them. As we have been studying through Amos, God is letting them know the time for his patience is over. It has run out. In chapter 4, God even admits to them that he has been calling them back to him and they have refused to listen and ignored him. What followed for them was not more time, not more understanding, not more undeserved mercy and love, but judgment commensurate with their actions. And that is precisely what chapter 7 in Amos is all about. They had presumed upon God's patience, upon His kindness, but the time had run out. And they were about to face the consequences commensurate with their actions. The big idea today is this, that God's patience will eventually come to an end. I could have said, the big idea is this, you're all going to get judged, so get used to it. But that's not a very positive statement. So, in terms of a positive, we have God's patience with you will eventually come to an end. See, I am saying it with love to all of you. Not the hot-blooded Italian way. Well, let's open up our Bibles to chapter 7 in Amos. And we're going to go through it. In the beginning, the first thing that we see is in response to Amos... God continues his forbearance. Amos receives a vision from God. That vision is the judgment of Israel. In the very first scene, what Amos sees is a plague of locusts that devour Israel. It is reminiscent of a previous time in the history of Israel when Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. It was the eighth plague that came against Egypt. What Amos saw was that the destruction was so great, neither Israel nor Judah survived. Notice how he says, well, let's read verses 2 and 3. When they, the locusts, had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. 
Now notice when Amos is praying and interceding, he is acting like Abraham had acted before for Sodom and Gomorrah and like Moses had acted before for the people of God. It demonstrates that Amos had this wonderful heart for God's people. And God listened to him. And notice when he prays, he doesn't just pray for Israel, he prays for Jacob. Jacob is the father of 12 sons. Those 12 sons will become the leaders of 12 tribes. 10 of those tribes will be in the northern kingdom of Israel. Benjamin and Judah will be in the southern kingdom. But notice what he says. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. Amos is clear that neither Israel nor Judah will survive. So God relents. While God relented of the plague, God has not relented of his intention. And he provides another vision for Amos. This time, the scene is judgment by fire. This again is reminiscent of a previous time in Israel's history when God went before them into the promised land as a consuming fire, promising to devour their enemies. What Amos saw was that no one and no thing will survive God's holy presence, which is also identified in Scripture as a consuming fire. So Amos intercedes again. Look at verses 5 and 6 with me. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. And the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. Now for just a minute, I want us to think about what Amos has done and what that might mean for us. Amos's heart is filled with concern for the people of God. We might expect, since they are rejecting him, that he might be filled with Joy or glee or satisfaction that God will bring justice and retribution to Israel for their sins and their evil ways. But Amos does not take joy or delight in any of this. He prays instead for mercy. And even though Israel is undeserving, even though Israel is presumed upon God's patience, God relents because of Amos' prayer. I love how the NIV puts this. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And that word man could be man or woman. It is powerful and effective. We should be encouraged by the example of Amos to go to God in prayer. We should believe that God can and does change His mind. And our prayers can affect that. 
Although God's patience with us is not unending, and God's sovereign purposes will not be changed, but the events or the occurrences in the immediate moment might be changed by the prayers of righteous people. Then we move into the next movement of this chapter. When God's patience comes to an end. And God shows Amos a third scene in this vision. Let's read that together. Verses 7 through 9. This is what He showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall with a plumb line. With a plumb line in His hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam, with the sword. In this third scene, we see the sovereign will of God exposed to Amos. We see this when God says, I will never again pass by them. God's patience has come to an end. And it is time for judgment. What Amos sees in this scene is a wall and a plumb line revealing that the wall was built true to plumb, perfectly straight and level. Just leave this picture up for just a minute. You could see a plumb line hanging near the cross. You could tell that the cross is hung plumb. It is perfectly level because you can see the line And you can see the cross. You can see the man in the um, picture. And these stones are perfectly level. They are solid and they are secure. And for those of you who are in construction, you know how important things being plumb is to their survival and to their functioning properly. Now, in the ancient world, plumb lines were used by builders to build. But they were also used to tear down. So, as they might be building a wall, they would set the plumb line. But they couldn't keep the plumb line there. So, they would take it down and they would continue building. And the builder would come back and set the plumb line out and see if what those who were actually building up that wall or whatever it was that they were building, if they did it plumb, properly, level, straight, so that it is solid. And if it wasn't, then it was torn down to where it was plumb. And then they would start again. So plumb lines were used both to build up and to tear down. God now would use the plumb line to judge Israel. The Lord's people had been constructed by God 
with double specification of law and grace. What do I mean by that? We have within the law of God both the holiness codes and the sacrificial codes. God's people, through the covenant with God, had agreed to and were expected to obey the law. The law is what taught them holiness. The law is what set uh, established behaviors of holiness for them. But also given to them was a sacrificial code. The sacrificial code was that under the blood they might be forgiven. And they might live in God's mercy when they failed to live up to holiness. And in this sacrificial code, God taught them that his holiness was tempered by mercy and forgiveness. And God taught them that redemption and mercy and forgiveness that came to them came only under the blood. And God gave to them a code that would point to God's perfect expression of mercy and grace in the cross and blood of Jesus Christ. Israel was severely out of plumb. Where and how they worshipped was crooked. Their failure to show compassion and to live justly proved that they were warped and distorted and perverted. And the plumb line made it clear that they must be torn down. Then the scene changes from Amos to the response in Israel. And what we see now in this third section is that presumption continues in verses 10 through 13. Now we see Amaziah, the high priest of Bethel, and the high priest who is associated with King Jeroboam, he responds to the prophet Amos and to what he has prophesied about Israel. That the high places will be made desolate, the sanctuary shall be laid waste, and the house of Jeroboam shall be met with the sword. Amaziah sends word to King Jeroboam that Amos has been prophesying against Israel and the king. And Amaziah advises the king that Amos must go immediately. Now we don't see immediately in the words, but when we look at the tone of what he will say to Amos, there is that sense of urgency and command that clearly comes through. Amaziah confronts Amos. While it doesn't say that the king has sent him, it is likely that the king is at least in concert with him and has sent him. Amos has been accused by Amaziah of being a charlatan, a profiteer, and to come and give prophecy for his food 
and for his keeping. Amaziah commands Amos to leave and and return to Judah. He says, go quickly and never prophesy again at Bethel. This is likely a threat. We see in these responses, the leaders and the people refuse to listen to God and refuse to listen to his prophet. Wittingly or unwittingly, they have presumed upon God's forbearance and patience. And they continue to live and do business as usual. Isn't that where we live? Business as usual? Don't we get into the the rituals of life and the road expressions and we don't think about it, we just dial it in? Well, God doesn't want us just to dial in and phone it into Him. He wants our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants our strength. I wonder how many of us are like them, just doing business as usual, just dialing it in. I wonder if we sense when our thinking and responses are wrong, when we ignore the needs of others around us. I wonder if our sense of conscience is pricked when we excuse ourselves for not living up to the expectations of Jesus be it sharing that extra tunic with someone who has none, turning the other cheek or praying for those who help, who hurt us or helping the helpless. I wonder if wittingly or unwittingly, we too are guilty of presuming upon God's patience and forbearance by continuing to live and do business as usual, believing that Either this isn't meant for us, or we're okay, or that we have time. And God's patience will not end. What we see in this final section is that judgment is coming and God's patience is ended. Verses 14 through 17. In this section, we see Amos' response to Amaziah and to Israel. Amos is passionate. He is personal and he is right on mission, revealing God's judgment is coming. Amos first deals with the accusation against him that somehow he is a charlatan and a profiteer. What he says is to provide his credentials, which stand in contrast to the credentials of Amaziah. His credentials are that he was a keeper of sheep and a farmer of trees. But God came to him and called him to be a prophet to Israel. Amaziah, he was born to a priestly caste. Amaziah, he studied and made all of the religious requirements that were needed be fulfilled. 
but he was not following God. Amos then provides God's judgment once again, making it clear. Read with me verses 16 through 17. Now therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel, and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line, and you yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. History bears witness to all that Amos prophesied. Forty years later, the Assyrians would come. They would conquer the Israelites. They would take them into exile. And the ten tribes of the northern kingdom would forever be lost. Never to return. Judah would have been swept away with them except that King Hezekiah repented at the last moment of his willfulness and prayed to God to intervene. And God did, stopping Assyria at the doorstep of Jerusalem. And about a hundred years later, though, the Babylonians would come to carry out the judgment of God. And he would take God's people into exile for 80 years. And many of them would return to the promised land to fulfill God's promises. What can we learn from this? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. What can we learn from this? Hopefully we are asking that question throughout this study of Amos. What can we learn from Amos? I thought about starting the service by having you pat the person on the back who was sitting next to you. And then pat the person on the back who was sitting next to you. And then pat yourself on the back. And I just wanted you to congratulate yourself because it's about the only positive news in Amos that you're going to get that you're still here. You've been here this many weeks listening to a hard word. And it is a hard word. So we should take it seriously. What can we learn from this? I'll tell you what we can learn. First of all, that presumption is our enemy. It leads us astray and into greater sin. The Cambridge Dictionary Online defines presumption as this. Believing that something is true without having any proof. And the, and the um, New World College Dictionary says the act of presuming, specifically as overstepping of proper bounds, forwardness, effrontery, or the taking of something for granted. When we presume We ignore the truth and reject the boundaries that are set up for our safety. Consider the parent who tells their child drugs are terrible and bad. Honestly, most parents, depending on where your kids are, I know 
my wife and I were terrified of this. It was one of the, the great things that we see destroying the lives of young people. And we worried. And we told them we didn't want them to hang out with kids who were doing drugs. And we didn't want them to go to parties where kids are doing drugs. And we said, people get addicted to drugs. And it destroys their life. We don't want that for you. It's not good for you. It's bad. But for the kids who don't listen to the boundaries, who don't believe what we're telling them is true, who go to those parties and start using gateway drugs and then move on to harder things and then eventually become addicted and then tear up the lives of people who love them because they are so broken by the addiction to these drugs. What we see is that presumption is the enemy. It leads us astray and into greater sin. That's what happened to Israel, and that can happen to us. Let us be mindful of that. Presumption is our enemy. Here's the second thing. Presumption leads to destruction. It certainly did for Israel. God's word explicitly teaches us not to presume upon God's patience. Read with me. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenetrate heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Presumption leads to destruction. God explicitly warns us against it. That we should not take his patience or his kindness or his forbearance for granted. He grants us mercy. Not so we can live in sin, but to cover us when we are not living in holiness. Finally, what should we learn? That judgment awaits us all and no one will escape it. God says... For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Not all will receive God's wrath, but not all will receive God's love and blessing either. The question for us is, will you and I be prepared for that great and awesome and terrible day when we will stand before the judgment seat of God for surely we will and everyone in this world will. If we think as some do that God is love and love wins out over everything and because God is love, judgment doesn't matter. God's love just covers it and judgment goes away. Well, the Bible teaches that such thinking people will be in for a rude and unpleasant awakening. It is true that God is love, but God is also holy. 
He is not one or the other, but both. And he knows how to balance those two qualities and will judge us by them. And that is what he has told us. But he has also provided for us in that. He has provided mercy and grace through the cross of Jesus Christ that will cover us. But that is not an excuse to live in evil. It is not an excuse to forsake what Jesus has taught and called us to. It is not an excuse to use the privilege of a relationship with God and waste it. If we think that uttering the right words about Jesus is what matters, if we can describe how we are saved by faith alone, and that's what matters, but live as though Jesus is no one to us, well, the Bible teaches that condemnation is waiting for us. It is not enough to pay lip service to your faith. You must allow the Spirit of God to move in your hearts so that you can live out your faith. God wants you to live out your faith. We are saved by faith alone. But the faith that saves us is not alone. Judgment day will come for everyone. We will all stand before the good Lord and account for our lives. God promises for those who have embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord, you will be judged to everlasting life, covered by the righteousness of Jesus' blood. When we walk with Jesus here, we are not alone. He has sent us his Holy Spirit to take up residence within us, helping us as men and women of faith to not only embrace Jesus with our words, but with our deeds as well. So let me say this to you. For the next couple of weeks, you have an opportunity to help the under-resourced with food, to help rebuild homes and lives that are demolished by hurricanes and the devastating effects of it. I ask only this of you, that you would seek the Lord's counsel in what you are to do and respond to his leading. I would encourage you and implore you to be generous. It is an opportunity for you to live out your faith. Perhaps an opportunity to even stretch in your faith. For God often does that to us. He moves us beyond our comfort zone and asks us to do what we do not think we can do, but by faith, through his supernatural power, he makes happen. One other thing. You can stay after the service today for just 20 minutes and pray. Pray for the people who are hungry. Pray for the people who are living away from their homes because they've been destroyed. You can join us in praying for our church, that we would respond in a righteous and just way and you can help us to pray 
for the Shristi sale. And the good that it will do as well. Let us not be people who presume upon God's patience, nor his mercy, nor his love. Let us be committed people of faith, great faith, who live our lives passionately for the Lord God Almighty, so that the kingdom of God will advance, and so that the gates of hell shall not prevail. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, help us not to presume upon your patience. Help us to follow your ways, living holy lives. Help us not to just utter the words of faith, but to live them out. Turn us away from apathy toward the vulnerable and the marginalized. Make us see them as your beloved and help us to not only meet their need, but to treat them with the same compassion and love and respect that you have provided for us. Help us, Lord, to bury your word, to aim us deep within our hearts. Prick our consciences so that we may be changed by your Holy Spirit. Make us more and more like Jesus and like the early disciples who lived their lives completely for you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.